So we're going to go back to Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 1 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm going to read it up to where we are today. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. I, I don't know about you, but as soon as I hear he's on the mountain, he's going to preach, and he sits down, he must have had an incredible voice. I mean, that's what that strikes me immediately. Uh, I've been on that mountain, and he's got 5,000 people there. He must have had an incredible, incredible voice to be able to carry that out. And in verse 2 there, it says, He opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that, you, that they may see your good works and glorify our, your Father who is in heaven. Isn't it incredible that we have a responsibility here for the gospel? Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever out of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What an incredible warning we have there, folks. Let me repeat it so you hear it. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is on that mountain. He's talking to Jews. Jews who saw the Pharisees and the scribes as being uh, up there on a cloud, that, that they were something above them. I hope that catches you up to where we are. And if it doesn't, please, you can go back and you can listen to it. It's online And you can just uh, listen to it at your leisure. I have a question to ask. We haven't been around uh, here, a lot of new people. How many of you have murdered somebody? How many of you have murdered somebody? I want to know. Took you a little while, though. You've all committed murder at some point. That's what this text is going to tell us. It is, it is horrific how we commit murder. And some of you may even have done it this week. 
committed murder. And you didn't even get arrested for it. Didn't even get arrested. Jesus actually tells us that we are murderers. He's going to help his hearers. That's you. That's the first century uh, Jews on that hill. And all those who have listened to this sermon ever since. That they really truly need to diagnose their own heart that they need to take a look at their heart and inspect their heart. That's what he's saying here. As believers, this is something that ought to be done regularly. How do I need to ask for forgiveness? And, and all of those kinds of things need to be coming into your mind. Where do I need to get right with the Lord? In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus is going to tell us about this murdering that we do. And in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, he says this, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough, what, to go into fiery hell? You've got to be kidding me. The standard is out there. The, the rabbis, that they say you shouldn't murder, but they didn't get to the heart of the matter. They only got to the outward. They only got to the outward. There is a demand that's an extreme demand on us as believers. It's not the outward. Who cares about that? It's what's going on in the heart, inside. That's what God desires. He desires hearts that are given fully to him, completely to him. Not partially, and then you look good in the, in the church and those kinds of things. God's demanding so much more than we would ever think. God is seeking hearts that have pure motives, that have unadulterated affections, unpolluted desires. That's what God, that's what Jesus is asking for. Friends, this is a very... I mean, it's a very practical application, and not just in this area of anger. We're going to have six examples that Jesus is going to give us here over the next few weeks, but he's going to give us example after example after example of true Christian character. He wants us to have true, genuine living. Why? Well, because he says this back in 13, back in verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be changing this society to one degree or another. You're supposed to be a light set on a hill. They're supposed to be able to see you and see you as different than the world. I was in the business world. I got saved in the business world. I got made fun of in the business world when I would give the gospel. That's okay. I probably lost business in the business world. It's okay. But we are supposed to stand up for Christ in all things, in all folks, and let's, let's admit to it, that, well, let me say mostly easily to walk around Grace Church and not get angry at anybody, even internally. Ah, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But sometimes that can even happen here in the church. We see that. The, the gospel in action needs to be in your workplace, needs to be in your school, needs to be in your life, 
not just on the campus of Grace Community Church. Not even when you come over my house. It's supposed to be all the time. As an unbeliever, I would walk around and I would say, I'm not such a bad guy. I'm not such a bad guy. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed a bank and I spend more than five minutes with my wife a day. I, I, I thought I was a really bad guy. I never thought in these terms here, folks. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't killed anyone. Do you know, and I just want to give you this as an aside. This is a side note. We're going to pull the tour bus over here for a little bit. Last year, in the United States, there were 19,000 gun-related deaths. Folks, just put your arms around that. 19,000 gun-related deaths in the United States. That number does not include suicide. He's not talking about guns. He's talking about what's in the heart. How many more deaths would there have been had that person been able to do and get away with what they wanted to get away with in their anger? How many more? Jesus is not talking about actually taking someone about derision and, and disgust with somebody. That's all he's talking about. But it's enough disgust to want them dead. It's enough hate to want them dead. It says in verse 22, But I say to you, Jesus is uh, pointing out here, folks, that there is a much higher expectation in your life for your conduct. It's an incredible standard that he's put up there. Just because you have not physically taken another's life does not make you a good person. That Bill Shannon who walked around before he got saved and thinking he was a good person because he hadn't robbed the bank, killed anybody, and spent more than five minutes with his wife a day. Wow. The unbeliever gives himself a pass very easily. But when we come to Christ, it says to pick him daily. It's not just a, a, a when I can do it, Lord, when I get to it. You know, Sunday's coming, I'll, I'll clean up my act and start to take care of it then. As we go through this portion of Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be challenging you. He's going to want you to be circumspect in who you are and who you really are. And frankly, folks, this is as good a time as any. What is your relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Are you truly his? Have you truly confessed him as Lord and Savior? Folks, I see the end coming. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I'm looking at all that's happening. I'm going, wow, how much more is he going to tolerate on this earth? So we have this exacting standard that we're supposed to be following. And so let's take a look at it. I love what uh, Jesus said. starts this. He says, I myself say, I myself say, notice it's in uh, opposition to what you have heard. You have heard what the ancients said, but I myself say. It's something different here. He's putting himself on the same level as God. He's putting himself on the same level as the word of God. You have heard the ancients told you this. These ancients were the rabbis, the teachers of old. 
But Jesus says, you've heard it, but that's not all that you needed to hear. Now, I want to give you uh, three words, three hypotheticals that uh, Jesus is going to give us, uh, illustrate for us in um, picking out our wicked hearts or the wicked heart of somebody who has anger, the biblical counseling department here. I thought maybe we come back next week and show you how to deal with your anger, how, how to take care of your anger. And we give you ways and, and suggestions and scripture and uh, other things that you could do to take care of that anger. Because I know, folks, as I sit here, anger is an issue with all of us. With all of us. First of all, in these hypotheticals, he's using these to convict us. And the first one is to keep us accountable. The second one is to keep us answerable. And the third one is affirmable or deservable, but deservable doesn't begin with an A, so I had to put affirmable in there just to make sure I got all my A's because as a pastor, you have to do that. Accountable, answerable, affirmable. First one is affirmable. We see that in 522. But I say to you that every heart, because God gets to see your heart, everyone who is angry shall be guilty, shall be liable. The first step to committing murder is anger. That's the first step to committing murder is anger. Now, just so you know this, there are two different words that are used in the Greek language. So, and I don't want to get into a whole lot of Greek here, but there are two different words in the Greek language for anger. Thumos is one of those words. And it's described as a quick uprising of anger, but it's gone fast. It goes out fast. It's described as a, a lighting dry straw. We, we see that sometimes in the uh, um, fall here in Southern California. You have a lot of grass. It's all dry, and you put a match to it. Boom, it goes up real quick. It's that kind of thing, but it goes out. Anger, which is actually used here in this text, is orge, which describes the anger that lasts a long, long time. It's one that's played with, one that is exercised, one that is kept. Uh, we can put it this way. It's, it's one that is harbored. You know, if you have a harbor, you keep it in there. It, it keeps inside of you. It never is allowed to die by that person. They don't want it to die. They keep it there for themselves so they can exercise it when they need to use it. You know, it's like that young man who uh, told me once in a counseling session, I get angry so that I can get people to leave me alone. And I said, well, how did that develop? Well, when I was a boy, okay, my parents would start correcting me. I get angry, and guess what they did? They left me alone. So fist through the wall. Guess what? His parents aren't going to come anywhere near him. They're afraid of him. So now he's exercised that for so much, he gets to be an adult, and he thinks he can do it with his wife. <laughs> he finds out he can't. He needs to come in for help. So that's what anger is. It's harbored there. This kind of anger destroys. This kind of anger destroys relationships. It destroys families. It destroys nations. It destroys churches. Now, you may never have gotten into a brawl. You may never have hit another person in anger, 
But if there was any anger in your heart against another person, it's as if you had hated them to have actually committed murder. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Physical display of anger is, is liable before the court. That's what he's, he's pointing somebody in the face or whatever. They would dispense this kind of, of judgment. This is being held accountable. The judgment court finds this man accountable, liable to the court. Now, up until recently, and I really haven't read a lot into this, but up until recently, I, I found out in our country that we're letting more and more murderers go out of our jails and, and things like that. Um, some of them, even before there's a trial. And I'm going, well, I can't believe that, because there's not enough room in there. And, you know, they may get COVID when they're in jail. It appears <laughs> that uh, those things are happening. I don't know for fact, and I can't prove it for fact, but that's what it appears. There is one thing that bothers me, okay, over these years being a believer. Righteous anger, hopefully. Hopefully you're not punching any doctors out. But yeah, you could have that. You know, I thought about it a little bit more. With the 62 to 63 million children that had been murdered, how come they were murdered? They must have been in anger that causes that. And do you know what that anger is? Some politicians do not want too many people around. They want to get rid of those people. 62 to 63 million people. There's an anger there that they have that's inside that we don't see. They would never admit it. You wouldn't see some uh, abortionist get up. Oh, no, we do that because we hate them. But that's exactly what it is. That is what is happening with an abortion. Some people just hate the idea of more people on the planet. Get rid of them. But you see, folks, as a believer, as a Christian now, I understand that every life is created in the image of God. Every life is created in the image of God. And they are attacking the image of God. It's tragic. It's tragic. As a matter of fact, when I was looking into this, and I just have one more thing here on abortion. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't take too much. I found out that there are more babies in one particular ethnic group in New York City that are murdered each year than are born each year. One one particular ethnic group has more babies killed, murdered, destroyed. Who's doing that? People who hate. That's who's doing. And that's something that we need to keep in mind. That's genocide. The judgment's going to come down on the abortionists. We know that. But we need to speak out. You should not be doing those things. A few years ago, when I mentioned something about abortion on one of my messages, and I don't do it all the time, I was preaching, and this woman came up to me after the service, and she said, could God forgive me for having an abortion? And I said that the blood of Jesus Christ can cover any sin and can cover all sin. She then looked at me and she says, how about four of them? 
And I said, my Lord, my Savior can cover four abortions. His blood can cover all of them. His, then you are in your sin, if you're truly his. So keep that in mind. Man today is not being held accountable for their murders that are being perpetrated in our country. There are one million abortions a year, as I mentioned, the slaughter of the unborn, and they're not held accountable. And you know what, today, it's not just the unborn. I think one of the states has even uh, passed a, a bill that they could kill them after they are born. I don't know how we tolerate things like that. You see, man easily becomes angry over some personal affront. He, he sees some injustice when it's done to him. But when it comes to abortion, he's pretty slow to anger. So the first thing that uh, we have here is that he's accountable, the censorable. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. That sounds terrible. And I bet you've said a lot worse than good for nothing. However, whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Not just the court, but the Supreme Court. Raka is the word that's used there to give it a, a flavor of, ah, you know, that kind of thing. It means good for nothing. Raka means that uh, you're calling that person a brainless idiot or an empty-headed buffoon. Some other nice words are blockhead or dimwit or nitwit, whichever one you want to choose. Pick one or the other, and you may have said even some of those to someone. Just saying that. Just saying it. Folks, just that is mentioned here by Jesus refers to the Jewish religious council. It's called the Sanhedrin. They would be brought before the Sanhedrin. The guilty will be answerable to the Sanhedrin, the highest court in Israel. That's what would happen. They can't get out of it. The men that are there would judge them and whatever that judgment would be. The first hypothetical illustration had judgment as a local court. The second illustration here has it the Supreme Court or the Sanhedrin. It's getting more serious, isn't it? It's getting to a, a higher plane here each time. The third is affirmable or deserveable. And it says there in the, in the passage, says, whoever says you fool. Whoever says you fool, that doesn't sound very bad, does it? Shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell? Some of you were driving down a 405 freeway, and I was watching you the other day. <laughs> and somebody cut you off. And I know what you said. I, I heard you. I was in my office. <laughs> Okay, some of you got interrupted while you were on the telephone by one of your kids, and you didn't like it. All of these kinds of things, or your husband forgot your birthday and your anniversary all at the same time. <laughs> you fool! A fool in the Greek here is moros, M-O-R-O-S. We get the word moron. Moron is birthed from that. It has nothing to do with intelligence, folks. 
it has all to do with moral culpability. Person that, that's what you're saying to them. You're morally culpable. Now, that particular word is used in other situations. Let me give you one. Turn in chapter 25 in Matthew. Chapter 25. That word foolish is used there as well, Matthew 25. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. Five of them were foolish and five of them prudent. In other words, they were morally culpable. When, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil for them. What it's saying here is that they were not ready for salvation. They were not ready for salvation. And verse 8, the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil or for our lamps are going out. And so the foolish are being pointing out that people did not truly belong to God. That's what he's pointing out there. They were not part of his kingdom. They were not part of his people. That's what he was trying to show them. Those people are not there. Friends, the Greek language here is telling us that if a person is going around calling others a fool, condemning them, he or she is already condemned. They're already condemned to hell. Now, I know that you've done that in your past, but now you're Christians. Now you're believers. You don't do those things anymore. This minor little thing here that caused people to get angry, they are cut off on the freeway, as I mentioned. Their neighbor's dog barks all night long. I have one of those. I can't open up that. And if I was to call them a fool, then I deserve fiery hell. I have found another way, though. No. <laughs> no. Please note, Jesus is not giving more dastardly descriptions of cruel hate and murder. No. He actually is making such a minor infraction deserving of fiery hell. That's why when we come to Jesus Christ, we need to see our moral culpability. You go back to there, poor in spirit. I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. We need to mourn over our sin. That's what we need to do. This act of calling someone a fool is a deliberate act of belittling someone's person. It's the act of making mockery of them. Look at Luke. Luke 12, 20. It says there, but God said to him, you fool. So God can say that, okay? Because he's telling him, you have no place in the kingdom. It's fine for God to say that. He's pointing out their foolishness. But for us to say that, we can't. When Jesus or the scriptures call someone a fool, it is not over hatred, it's not because of hatred, but it's out of his heart, the, the reality that this person's, their deeds and their moral conduct is not in line with who he is. You see that in Psalm 14, you probably all have it memorized, Psalm 14, 1, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 1, 7, years. 
the hell that is more specifically spoken of here is the term Gehenna or Gena. It is called the, the Valley of Hinnom. It's a very specific place. Uh, this refers to the valley that was just southwest of um, Jerusalem. It was really at the foot of the mount there. The, what they did in those days was take their garbage and throw it over the mount. Okay, or bring it down there, I don't know. The, the refuse was put there, and they put a match to it. Probably didn't have matches. There was a continual fire. That's the picture, folks. It just kept smoldering and smoldering. It was constantly burning. The more refuse, more fire, all of that kind of stuff, which was a great picture of hell. Because that's what, this is public garbage dump. It was a great picture for the Jew when Jesus is saying that. He's saying this is the ultimate judgment. As a matter of fact, that particular valley uh, at the foot of Jerusalem was used for something else. Why don't you turn to Second Chronicles? It was used for something else, which is even more dastardly um, and really is what set me off on the whole thing about abortion. It's just the Second Chronicles chapter 28. Did I say that? Second Chronicles 28. This set me off on, when I started to read this again, okay, because I read this, I just gave me this image, and I'm going, that's exactly what happens today. Second Chronicles 28, let's start in verse 1 there. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. So he's a young man, he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not, or as David his father had done, Verse 3, moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire. He took his own sons and burned them in fire. Not, not just a little burn, you know, on the, on the body there, but sacrificed them. This is sacrifice to the god Molech that used to go on in that area by some of the people that were there in Canaan before the Jews got there. They would burn their babies. They would take them down there and sacrifice them. That, to me, is the ultimate of needing judgment. Jesus is telling these people on the mountainside, go back to 1 Peter, telling these folks on the mountainside and us, The problem of anger starts in a heart that's separated from God, a heart that's full of anger. That's where it starts. God's judgment will be swift on both anger and murder. Remember, these punishments are for the mere feelings of anger. I mean, think about it. The mere feelings of anger. The mere mere feelings of anger. God's standard is so far superior to us, so far loftier than our thoughts. God is concerned with where your heart is. What are you worshiping? As I, external acts may be revealing to a degree. You know, people say, well, here's your fruit. You know, we can see eggs. You see that to a degree. What's in the heart? That's what truly matters. 
Because you're going to be standing before God, not Bill Shannon, not Carl Hargrove, not anybody else, not the elders of Grace Church. You're going to be standing before God. Friends, you've probably never thought of the sin of anger, even unexpressed anger, as so serious and so condemning. Anger comes from a heart that sees another person as worthless. That's where it comes from. You see the other person is worthless. Whether they use the name Raka or Fool, it's saying the same thing in the, in the same sense. But of saying these words portrays a man or a woman saying the other person is worthless, so is abortion. So is that. Condemning. They are born, someone has judged that this unborn child is worthless. Jesus, in this uh, exquisite uh, sermon, is reaching into the heart of the men and the women that are there. And, and they're Jews who have followed the law, and they, they're following the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're saying, how can we do this? He's telling even those who think of themselves as spiritual that there is a need. There is a need for a Savior outside of themselves. You need the Savior outside of yourself. And again, anger is not a small matter, and that's why I'm going to come back next week. And we're going to look at what are ways to deal with personal anger? How can I deal with those, that personal anger? What do I need to do? It, what can I memorize? What can I meditate on? Tools that I can have as a believer to be able to honor the Lord through all of it. Friends, the first century listeners to this message must have been shocked. I can't imagine that they wouldn't be. You mean, I can't get angry at my neighbor because his sheep is on my lawn? I can't get angry because that woman takes so long in getting the water out of the well? No, you can't. You are to love her, respect her, honor her. The message is clear. When I took the survey, no one had their hand up originally. Then it started to percolate. A couple of the murderers knew that they needed to put their hand up. <laughs> but we all need to raise our hand high. We have all murdered with our minds. We have all murdered with our hearts. And the cure, folks, is Jesus. Possible standard. But you have to run to him all the time. Jesus is not looking just for outward morality or outward righteousness, but the inward heart change that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish. So, if you're here today and you're thinking pretty good about yourself, you lack recognition of your sinful heart. Don't think pretty good of yourself. And I don't mean go out of here and start beating yourself up. Look and pray for God to continue to change your heart. And unless you repent of anger, sinful anger, practiced anger, the affirmed result is fiery hell. That's why we preach this. That's why Jesus preached it in this you in it. This is where you're going to go. This is what's going to happen. Let me pray for you and pray for myself in this regard. Father God, over these years, you continue to grow each and every one of us, those who have been Christians for any 
length of time for those who are brand new Christians, those who are just starting to walk with you. We pray, dear God, that you would give them grace and mercy. We pray that you would open up their hearts to see that you have the answer, you have the help. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man or woman, but God is faithful and he will make a way through it. You are there for us, Lord. You want to help us. You want to show us how to live that true, a beautiful Christian life before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 